Hello and welcome to another episode of Story Screen Reports, Story Screen's news show, hosted by me, the newsman, <laughs> Robbie Anderson. I'm the host of this podcast, the Story Screen News Show. What do we do? How does it work? Is this your first time? Is this your first time? Come on, sit down. This is how it works. <laughs> I like I like the I like the narrative of like I make someone sit down, scream at them. Um, yeah, I'm Robbie. This is a new show. Uh, Story Screen Reports is the podcast where we cover all the top stories in film, TV, and entertainment. Uh, and by top stories, I mean the stories that I say are the top stories because I because it's mine because I because I do this. So I you know the entire month I comb through. All the big stories of the month, and I'm like, that's good, that's bad. I don't really feel like talking about that. I don't know if I want to do a story on Jonathan Majors, Burn. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, it's like, is that even in our purview? I don't know. Is that even my place to talk about? Is it going to come up naturally? Yeah, it just did. I don't know. It's so fresh. I don't the know. Winds are fresh. So fresh. <laughs> so yeah, you know. That's the kind of stuff we do here. We talk about that shit. Uh, yeah, I'm Robbie Byrne. This is my guest today, Berenda Gorman-White. Hi, Byrne. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm strapped in. I'm in this chair. I'm ready to get yelled at about the news. I'm excited. Just fucking scream at you. Fucking scream at you. Fucking really. Best seat in the house. Tear, tear you up. <laughs> oh, man. It's all about to happen. No, I'm It's all about to go down. I'm good, though. I'm good, though. I'm excited good. about the, the stories you've collected. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I'm kind of like the, uh, I should save this for another intro to a show because it's good, but, you know, what's wrong with two? I'm like the, I'm like the Ash Ketchum of news stories, you know, and these are my Pokemans. That's true. You're going to release five. You know? We're going to see how they gonna do. release five? I have them fight another <laughs> one to the death. <laughs> and then put them right back and in the ball. Put them right back in the mall. Make them, make them my little Poke slaves. Carry them around in your little knapsack. My little knapsack. That's right. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into it. Five stories I selected. Five stories we always do for every episode of Stories and Reports. We call this segment of the show the real. Do you know what a real is, listener? I know Burn knows. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for them to respond. They say they don't know. A real is like it's kind of like I think what a VHS tape was in the shape of a circle, and that's how they showed movies. Yes, is that wrong? Yeah, it's, that's right. Yeah, it, it's a circle, and no, I know what it is. It has a thing, and it, <laughs> it goes through, and it catches onto another circle, yeah. and then that circle winds the other circle up. Yeah, when you know when you describe it, it sounds like how could that possibly be what makes a movie happen? And that's science. It's magic. It makes a little clicky sound. You got to watch the Fablemans <laughs> to figure it out, I guess. No, <laughs> I would have. I have no idea how a movie works until I watch the Fablemans, and I still don't know. Apparently, <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. The first story on the reel is the Lord of the Rings, Amazon, Warner Brothers, ready for token battle. The story is written by James Hibbard at the Hollywood Reporter. As Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav declared in a company's earnings call, Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema made a multi-year deal with Embracer Group to make new Lord of the Rings movies. The reveal comes at a precarious time for Warners, at, with the studio admitting a $2.1 billion loss in Q4. Like many studios, the company seems to be circling its wagons over ever tighter... Sorry. 
the company seems to be circling its wagons ever tighter around familiar IP, focusing on surefire brands like DC. Though there are no scripts yet, one insider suggests to The Hollywood Reporter that Warner Brothers hopes to turn Lord of the Rings into a Star Wars-like franchise. Good luck. The move comes two decades after director Peter Jackson's hugely popular The Lord of the Rings saga, which won 17 Oscars. Now, Jackson and his writing partners, Fran Walsh and Philippia Boyens, are in the precious talent, are the precious talent Warner's hopes to get on board with its efforts after Amazon seemingly fumbled its courtship of the filmmaker. Uh, Jackson told THR that Amazon had reached out to him about its series, but then, after company executive shakeup, was never sent any scripts. Sources say Jackson and Walsh were very frustrated that so many believe they were involved with Amazon's show and are now engaging with Warner's slash New Line. Once again, folks are emphasizing that are emphasizing what's different. Warner's rights cover Tokens Third Age, which includes fan favorites uh, Gandalf, Aragon, and The Hobbits, and covers the one war, sorry, the war over the One Ring, while Amazon is exploring Tokens lesser known Second Age. The creative decision presents challenges for both sides. Amazon has to make its epic series out of a period Token wrote very little about, while Warner's has to figure out how to make movies from a time whose best stories were covered by recent films. Unlike Marvel and DC, which lean on decades of stories from comic books or even Star Wars with its central tale and sprawling galaxy of vagueness to fill in, Tolkien's finest quality is his most vexing for adapters. The world is hugely detailed, yet mainly built to support two well-worn tales, and even minor deviations from the lore spark fandom backlash. The result could take two behemoth studios the result could leave two behemoth studios feeling like they're sending that they're spending Billions to cover tokens, creative Lemba's bread crumbs. Woo! Burn, do you want more Lord of the Rings movies? Uh, I'm one of the mind that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think those that original trilogy is amazing. Um, One of my favorite film sets to watch of all time. The, the music's great, the casting's great, the writing's great, it looks great. The whole thing is awesome. If Jackson and Philippa, if if they're involved, sure, I guess. Like, I, I guess I would be interested. Granted, I did watch The Rings of Power, and I enjoyed it. So, I'll still watch the content if they're making it. But I don't think we need more. I don't know. What do you think? No. Well, I mean, we never need more. Right. Right. That's kind of the thing. So I, I feel like, you know, we've been in this uh, sequelization adaptation world now for, you know, most of our adult lives. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like, well, do we need more? It's just like, I think we've all said we don't. And it's just not going to, they're not going to listen to that. They're like, well, you're going to give it to you anyway. And to that, you know, to that token, we also, uh, we buy the tickets. So, I know. <laughs> you know, we fuel the machine. Uh, we all do. You know, everyone does. I I also watched Rings of Power. Uh, I was really into Rings of Power, but I kind of thought they fumbled at the end. Um, and it seems that Amazon, uh, despite their confidence being like, well, we're doing the second age and we don't need to talk about these legacy characters. Um if you watch Rings of Power, it seems like maybe they shit their pants towards the end and they're just like, we're just going to try and do it anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just very weird. I think that show was very weird. It started off really strong. It was, I feel like, trying to tell its like own thing, but kind of like feeling like vaguely attached to the source material but i don't know and i'm also like you know i'm not like the token guy i love lord of the rings the the jackson movies and them being attached to the uh warner brothers project it it just doesn't really i don't know it it doesn't really excite me like peter jackson's lord of the rings is just an adaptation mm-hmm. of the story it's not like when it's just like we got george lucas back to do this thing like it doesn't have the same heft you know mm-hmm and also, like, what other stories is there to, to, like, I don't know. I'm just, like, not really interested. I don't know. Yeah, that there's the main question. It's so funny. Uh, so, listeners, Robbie shared in the reel all of this information on who owns what rights. And the fact that it's so fragmented. It's very, com- it's very confusing. hilarious. So, you have Tolkien's estate, and they own the rights to the books, essentially, like the publishing rights to the actual stories, the source material, essentially. Mm. Um, And yeah, reading a few of the quotes from some of the Tolkien estate members, whether they be family members or people who were just part of the estate, even they didn't like Jackson's movies. They were a little snobby, saying that Jackson's movies were just basically an action adaptation of a beautiful thing and he didn't carry like the beautiful context of the story to the screen which it's like all right if uh we were watching two different things i guess whatever um so yeah you have the tolkien estate and then you have obviously warners who's trying to go back into like the film realm and build spinoffs off of that original trilogy and then you have uh the other group that you shared, um, Embracer Group, Embracer Group, which does mostly comic books and video games and can build stories and have built stories around the film adaptations. And now they kind of also own like catchphrases and <laughs> like lines of dialogue yeah. that they can then collaborate with Warner's if they wanted to bring those lines of dialogue, those catchphrases, some characters back into the movies, then they can do that, which is wild. And then poor Amazon over here is just like, well, we got this extra stuff, I guess. Like, we'll just keep working with this extra stuff, which is interesting. But yeah. Well, I feel like they... It, yeah, it's it's such a... It is so crazy, the fragmentation of like how all these things are owned. It makes me think about... like. Um, how we used to talk about like Spider-Man mm-hmm. and it was just like, it's so confusing because Sony owns part of it. And then Marvel does some of it. And this is like extra hard mode of rights ownership <laughs> and IP ownership with things. Um, but yeah, I feel like Amazon, another like kind of fumbling of theirs. Like, I feel like if anything, they were given like a gift with these where they're they're They can make stories in the second age, which doesn't have a lot of stuff written about it. Mm-hmm. So they really could have kind of gone a little bit maybe more crazy about like with it or maybe like more expansive. And, you know, ironically, I think they got a little too Star Wars with it by the end where they made the world feel a lot smaller by inserting legacy characters and making it about them. I think it's one thing to like have legacy characters from other from the well-known stories in the intellectual property be present in a show or movie, I think it's when they become the focus 
is when it um, feels constrictive for the narrative, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it it's kind of troublesome and sad to watch that all of these different groups, especially like the two main ones, Amazon and Warner's, it, it doesn't seem like there's really love for the project itself. There's just love for maybe the dollar signs of what the profit can be made from reigniting these, you know, amazing epic tales that they've already used before. It just doesn't seem like they came to it with a creative sense of exploration of like, oh, we're so excited to work with these characters or work with this timeline or cover something new. It doesn't seem like they're coming to it with like any type of like real interest in the subject matter. It's just more about, oh, well, we have the rights. What can we do? I guess we'll cobble this together and put it out. I think it's largely because, like, it's just not there. Like, it's not like Star Wars where there is no source material. So it's it's really, they can, the galaxy of vagueness, they can just kind of fill it in. And, you know, with Lord of the Rings, it's just like, the stories that are from the source material, it's like, they've been adapted recently and you know unfortunately we're unfortunately for the the future class of ad adapters or you know uh 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 what's his face just wanted to do it again i guess um <laughs> peter jackson uh it's like well they're they're so culturally iconic like they can't really like maybe ever be scrubbed from like the or forgotten at the very least from like kind of like the the cultural membrane and to bring Jackson back into it it's just like what again like what does he add like we, he did the Hobbit and like that was like not well received so right. it's not like and I'm not saying he necessarily had like a fall from grace but it's just like we saw what he would do with more rope you know right and people weren't in, into that you know I mean I think there are movies I haven't seen actually I haven't seen the Hobbit movies and I know like, some people <laughs> have like I don't think anyone feels like amazing about them but no. I know some people rain from like they're shit to like they're not so bad um but yeah i just don't know i just don't know what stories it's like you know if they make like an aragon movie it's like i don't fucking want yeah <laughs> you're not like, down really out with aragorn for you know no however long it's, it's just like i yeah and i think the, the beautiful thing about the lord of the rings is that when the movie ends it's like they get to like live out their stories in your imagination you get to imagine mm-hmm. what they're doing and, you know, I, I talk about ambiguity in storytelling, I feel like, a lot lately in a lot of stuff we've been covering, because I just feel like it's shrinking, because mm-hmm. um, we have audiences that are so obsessed with, like, background story and lore, and that stuff is, for me, just feeling kind of, like, cheap and not interesting, and I feel like people still really, like, hunger for that. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, you know, Lord of the Rings is not that ambiguous of a story. Like, they tell you that Frodo basically goes to heaven at the end. But, like, mm-hmm. there's just enough there where it's just like, I'm I'm happy having the story that I've made up in my head about these characters. Like, I don't, there's not really more. And there's no, and it's not like in the trilogy of Lord of the Rings movies, there's any gaps. Mm-mm. And anything that happened before the Lord of the Rings movies is just The Hobbit. So I don't really know. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And then if you're going to reboot the movies... Good fucking luck, because that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, agreed. Definitely agree on that last part. Yeah, it it made me sad to read those news articles and see that Jackson basically said, like, those movies were kind of flash in the pan. 
He he doesn't think if he hadn't created Lord of the Rings at that point in time, if he came to a studio now, kind of as a lesser known director who definitely right. has a very particular style, he doesn't think that they would probably get greenlit. And he's probably right. But yeah, mm. the fact that he would want to possibly return it. Yeah, it, it did not work with The Hobbit. The Hobbit didn't look as cool as Lord of the Rings. And I think because Lord of the Rings was kind of new and at the forefront of all this new technology. But because it was the forefront of that technology, they still relied on practical effects a lot. And not to say that he wouldn't do that again. But I think, yeah, those movies are very special because of the time and the place that they came out. And I don't know if that can be replicated, nor should it be. And I mean, Rings of Power looks good, right? It looks good, but it definitely doesn't have the same like patina that Lord of the Rings does. No. And even like no, when Lord of the true. Rings came out, it had a certain like texture and grittiness to it. And Rings of Power doesn't quite have that, but it still does look very good just in a different way. Yeah, I feel like it gets close when like there's that scene. Not to turn into like the Rings of Power podcast, but like, you know, there's like a scene where they're in um, kind of like what is about to be Mordor. They're in like the orc area. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they did a really good job of that, where it's like it felt like kind of like the orc mines you see in the movies. But it's like like kind of like almost in like an arid desert environment. And yeah. it looks very realistic. And then like the orcs themselves, you know, it's all it looks all very practical and, and well done. True. So, you know, I think in terms of like aesthetics. I, you know, it's hard to say because I was going to say I think there is space to do it to look closer to. I, I think a lot of stuff they do visually in Rings of Power is just like that's how what I would imagine a a modern Lord of the Rings property to look like. I think there are some shots in that show that's like mind blowingly gorgeous. But, you know, we also saw what Peter Jackson would do with more technology, uh, with newer modern technology, again, with The Hobbit. And it's like, you know. Yeah. He made the movies like 60 frames per second and they looked like they had like weird motion smoothing and no one, no one liked that. No one liked it. Yeah. The future of movies, I think not. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I just don't know what the direction is. Because again, Agreed. like with Am- Amazon's, I, I, I'm not super confident with the future of Rings of Power, even though like the first like four episodes I was. But at least like where they are, the, the ground where they're sowing their narrative seeds, I think is a bit more fruitful. Whereas, you know, this article has a really good, you know, analogy at the end about, like, fighting over breadcrumbs. And it, it seriously is. At this point, like, Lord of the Rings, it's like, it's tapped, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> there's not really much. Again, like, unless you want to, like, in, in terms of, like, the story of, like, the one ring and company, the well's dry. And you might need to wait, like, I don't know, like, if we're around another hundred years, then maybe you could fucking reboot <laughs> Lord of the Rings. But I think it's that. I think that movie is that big where it's just, like. Another few decades at minimum need to pass before you even entertain the idea. Right, right. And I think uh, there probably needs to be a more well thought out discussion of do people come to Lord of the Rings for the story and the scope and the span of all of these histories and eras? Do they come for that or do they come for the characters? Are the characters what drive your interest in studying this particular story because the story itself isn't anything super new um obviously it has all of these religious connotations and you know similar to like most fantasy stories 
they're kind of similar stories told over and over again. So in my, uh, you know, humble opinion, I think you're coming to Lord of the Rings for the, the characters that are involved in this particular story. And yeah, you've kind of covered all the cool characters already. Like, I, I definitely really liked the Harfoots in Rings of Power. There were definitely new characters that I really enjoyed. But yeah, it seems like Rings of Power is like almost too nervous to just stick with these unknown characters. Because as you said, like they really kind of shoehorned some characters towards the end to hopefully like pick up the audience's uh, interest. Attention. Yeah. Yeah. We're, so, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it had the opposite effect, at least for me, where, you know, I was like, these new characters are great. I love learning about these right. original characters. And then the minute they're engaging with the older characters, I'm like, I just now have questions which i i think is boring (laughs) right right i don't know if there's a good way to do this um i think amazon and warner are just in such a weird place and i think that for warner brothers to be like we want to make if this rumor is true that they're like we want to make lord of the rings into a star wars like franchise it's just like is are you like looking at star wars right now like i don't think star wars as a as a brand is doing like that like, it's, like, profitable. There's, like, amusement parks. Their toys are going to sell. Like, it's it's still, like, it's making money, right? Right. But in terms of just, like, critical success, like, I don't think it's doing, like, that good right now. Yeah. You know? And, like, I'm not sure if I'm in the Twitter bu- bubble, which particularly is, like, fatigued on Star Wars. But, you know, even this, like, new season of Mandalorian is, like, you know, it doesn't feel... I don't think it's very good at all. <laughs> but I think generally people are not as hot on it as they had been in the previous seasons. Yeah. And uh, a lot of just like this, this spinoff content is just not, you know, it's just not really up to snuff. I think, I don't know. I just, I, I, I can't imagine that being, the, you look at that and you're like, we want to be what that is. <laughs> right. It's just like, I don't know. Whereas like, if you want to, you know, make toys and branded material, you already have that. Yes. You definitely do. And so <laughs> the weird thing is, is like the diehard fans, the devotees, you know, like Comic-Con will prove time and time again, like fans will stick around. You have fans. You don't have to make new content to like still sell to fans. Like, yeah, it's just not a thing. Like, you know, cosplay alone just keeps, you know, fandoms alive forever. And so, right. yeah, if the passion isn't behind the content that you're planning on making, like, maybe just don't make that content. And maybe, yeah, take a chance on something new, something completely unrelated. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I uh, I want them to be good Lord of the Rings. Uh, you know, this is not me being like, I hope it's bad, but we'll, uh, you know, we all want stuff to be good. We all want stuff to be good and made with intent that seems to care about the actual content and not just making another multiverse that they can just, you know, have a million projects they lined should, up. They should make a Lord of the Rings multiverse <laughs> movie, though, where there's Aragon and another universe, and he needs the help of his other You got your good you got your bad Aragorn. <laughs> they have to, you have to, you have Aragorn Noir, Aragorn Ham, <laughs> the Flash Aragorn, <laughs> get them all together to fight... Yeah, yeah, okay. <sighs> Sauron again. I don't know. It's just all der- it's it's derivative fucking gibberish. <laughs> Make a billions of dollars. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I could do- talk about this all day. But uh story number 2, 
Might be the longest headline in history. Breaking Baz, Oscar winner Sir Roger Deakins says, quote, Best Cinematography hasn't been nominated, end quote, this year. Thinks Oscars are, quote, snobby, end quote, about cinematographers of popular movies. That's the headline that I copy-pasted. <laughs> Written by Baz <laughs> Bamigboy at Deadline. Uh, and the story goes like this. Roger Deakins, legendary cinematographer and knight of the British realm, cut to the chase. In his, in his view, several of the best examples of cinematography are missing from this year's Oscars list. Quote, the best cinematography hasn't been nominated. End quote. Uh, and then the author of the article asked, which, which film is it? And Roger Deakins responded, it's the Batman. The, that's the best work in my view. <clears throat> He says, as he heaped acclaim on Greg Fraser's, quote, extraordinary visual flair for the Warner Brothers movies directed by Matt Reeves. He goes on to say, the reason it wasn't, the reason it wasn't is pure and simple, snobbery. There, there's this unfair tendency to avoid the Marvel universe and the other popular universes, he says. Uh, Claudio Miranda, the director of photography of Paramount's Top Gun Maverick, uh, he also said was another one that was shut out. It comes down to the work, he says. Good work is good work, whatever the genre. Uh, it's worth pointing out that Frazier prevailed at last year's Academy Awards for Dune Part 1, while Miranda took home the Oscar for Life of Pi in 2012. That didn't mollify Deacon's, quote, the snobbery remains, he says. Uh, Bernadette, do you think that movies like The Batman... <laughs> And Top Gun Maverick don't get nominated for Oscars because of snobbery. It it's strange because you and I and the Story Screen family being so ingrained in like this film conversation and especially the Oscars, and we just watched it and we just did the predictions podcast. I was like, wait, like Batman wasn't nom the Batman wasn't nominated for cinematography. And then I had to go look it, it up. It was nominated for much. And yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah, why wasn't it nominated? And, yeah, why wasn't Top Gun Maverick? Why wasn't Nope nominated in yeah. this category or for multiple other categories? Um, so, yeah, it does seem like some of these lesser categories, quote, unquote, um, in, like, the public side, that the general public who don't really live in this world of film like we do. Maybe they're not as yeah. jazzed about cinematography. Um, hard to say. I don't know why they choose the movies that they choose. Um, and it's not to say that the five nominated weren't good, but it is a confusing category. I, I wonder if it is snobbery or just kind of like, I don't know, not them not really caring enough about it to actually like, really think about which movies should be nominated. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, you know, in a year where everything everywhere all at once kind of swept, it it makes me question the I think before that happened, snobbery is the phrase I would have used. Mm -hmm. But the butt plug movie with the hamburger fingers <laughs> Did very well at <laughs> the Oscars this year. So then what is... Uh, I mean, like, does that sound like snobbery to you? Does everything, everywhere, all at once, sweeping at the Oscars sound like snobbery? You know? No, not really. But, of course, like, the cynical side of me is always wondering, like, 
are they giving awards to movies just so that the audience stays engaged? Or do they genuinely sure. believe that this movie deserves all of these awards? It does seem like the the line between producing the Oscars as an entertaining chunk of television programming and getting so many people interested beforehand leading up during, you know, all of the other award shows and award season, like, what is the goal here with this award program? Is it to be an entertaining piece of television or is it to actually award films that they really think deserve films? So, yeah, and that's a hard, you know, conversation to have. And I don't know if like you or I will ever find out uh, what exactly is happening yeah. in that dichotomy and that discussion. But watching a weird little movie that we all loved so much win so many awards was great and did not feel like snobbery. No, it didn't. And like, you know, I do think you know, when I, when I talk to like friends who are like really fatigued on the Oscars and I tell them like, Oh yeah, I'm excited to watch it. They're like, why? And you know, I have to kind of be like, well, it's not, you know, I don't watch the Oscars thinking like they are selecting the best movie. It's not a competition between the best movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not right. Because like, you know, some of the best movies of the year aren't anywhere in any category. Like that's just kind of the way it is, but you know, it's, it's, it's mainstream. And that's how I engage with it as an audience member where I'm like, it's mainstream. It's the closest thing movie nerds have to like the Super Bowl. I just try and have fun with it. And that, and that's kind of it. But, and it does like, you know, I think for us in like the critical film space, just spawn a lot of interesting conversations, but you know, I think Roger, Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins is, uh, you know, he's the goat. He's King. We worship him. Mm-hmm. We stand. Um, and I I kind of like I, I really appreciate his like point, especially, you know, he's uh, one of the best cinematographers ever and he has one Oscar. So I bet he's just like not super jazzed <laughs> about that. I think uh, two. Yeah, he has two. OK, so he has two yeah. Oscars. But um, I also, you know, it's it's not like superhero movies don't historically get their dues in the Oscars. Like Black Panther, the first one when it came out did very well mm-hmm. uh, at the Oscars. And, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker did win the Academy Award for like best acting. So it's not like, you know, in my view, even if the last two movies to do well at the Oscars was the Dark Knight and Black Panther. um, I'm like, well, those are probably the, two of the best ones to come out in the last like i think those are two movies that are like worthy of of acclaim at a movie awards thing you know Mm -hmm. i think the batman probably did have like to me the most like interesting cinematography of any movie last year except for maybe top gun maverick which like you know i don't know if you saw it those planes were real (laughs) so (laughs) so that's like pretty crazy too um i just think i think the technical awards at the oscars should be more uh technical i think there should be more movies that like you know are really showcasing like experimental or uh trailblazing techniques in film uh filmmaking and film craft right Mm -hmm. and i feel like they're not i think that's kind of the issue yeah yeah and also it's not like the SAG Awards where 
the actors winning those awards or being given those awards by their peers. I don't really know how the voting pool works for the technical categories. I don't know if you have just like a bunch of like jabronis voting for it who don't really fully understand it, you know, right. or if it's like dedicated people of their craft who are voting for what they think are the best technically made films of the year. Hard to say. Yeah. It's industry folk, but like, you know, do you have like someone who is primarily doing screenwriting? Like, I, I feel like all those people know the ins and outs of all more of those. About how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like, you know, like being on set. They probably like I think everyone in the Academy knows more about being on set than both of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? I would say so. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just it's hard to. uh there's really like kind of like no measuring stick. And I think the issue is also like when you up- try to apply a measuring stick to art, it's just like, well, what the fuck are we even doing? Right. So it's like, it's all like, listen, it's all a little fucking dumb. Right. But I just think that like snob, the term like snobbery, um, like I, I want nothing more to, to, than to agree with Roger Deakins, but I actually like kind of think that he's, he's wrong given like, you know, if you've watched the Oscars for the past few years, it's just like, well, yeah. Also, he won for like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Like that yeah. is the nerdiest movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. But yes. like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish too in that article that if he was bringing in the Batman and Top Gun Maverick into the conversation, he should have named names and been like, "These two should have been out of there." <laughs> or like, did he feel? Oh, like- you mean like because I was gonna say he named the people who who made the movies, but you're saying the people who shouldn't be on the list. Yes. That's fucking funny. like okay. that's where he should have gone because yeah I'm wondering like did he feel like he really like was sitting pretty in that category because I mean he was nominated this year for cinematography for Empire of Light. Um, yeah, I hear that movie looks really good. It does. Good. It does look really good. Um, that movie is wild because yeah he did the cinematography and then you have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross who scored the movie. It's just like a weird combination of people working in this film, yeah. but uh. But yeah, I would have been unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I I would have been interested to see like which ones he thought did not deserve their spot, other than just saying it's snobbery. Because at that point, it's like, well, do you really want every category to be opened up to like ten, like Best Picture is? Because that's not fun sometimes. I kind of like to see it yeah. be a more narrowed focus. But yeah, I don't know. I think these past few years. The Oscars are hopefully moving away from snobbery. So we'll see how he feels in a couple years, I guess. It's hard. It's a hard phrase to apply because, right. like, again, like, I actually, I think the, you know, even kind of the more I think about it, like, the Oscars, it's, like, mainstream. So it's, like, it's kind of like, like, snobbery is not really the right term. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's kind of, like, uh, a lack of, like, maybe either education or at least, like, care right. about the the not like the the technical achievements like you know I don't think people are like being too highbrow about it no <clears throat> I think it's kind of the I think it's the opposite issue yeah I mean wasn't it just last year that the Flash won an award <laughs> like they're they're trying real hard not to be snobs <laughs> yeah so we uh yeah we'll see I think I'm going to burn I'm swapping because we're on Oscar talk right now yeah I'm gonna swap the next two stories oh okay. So, uh, story number three on the subject of the Oscars, and probably the biggest story to come out of the Oscars that night, Jenny the Donkey's Oscar cameo was all a fraud. A fraud. (gasps) 
written by Zoe Guy for Vulture. Following a scene-stealing turn in the Oscar-nominated black comedy The Banshees of Inishirin, Jenny the Donkey retired from public life at the behest of director Martin McDonough and hasn't been interrupted for an important event such as the Academy Awards. At the 2023 Oscars, host Jimmy Kimmel brought out, allegedly, the poster child of Sad Donkey Autumn, but it turns out the whole thing was a damn sham. Open your eyes, sheeple. The donkey was a freaking fraud. Quote, this is Jenny. She's one of the stars of Banshees of Inishirin. And quote, the late, the late night host said as he introduced a donkey to the crowd, including co-star Colin Farrell. Quote, not only is Jenny an actor, but she's a certified emotional support donkey. Or, at least, that's what we told the airline to get her on the plane from Ireland. But in a shocking twist, a source tells Vulture that it wasn't the real Jenny attending the Oscars alongside Kimmel. It was just, quote, a random donkey, end quote. (laughs) Uh, We reached out to the Academy for comment. Real Jenny fans know that she is living off her Banshee's bag in a donkey (laughs) paradise. Quote, Martin fell so in love with her that he never wanted her to work again, end quote. Her former trainer, Rita Maloney, of Firecroft Animal Actors told Vulture in October, quote, he asked if she could just do this movie and then retire. Now she's just a happy donkey running with other miniature donkeys. I only saw her about three weeks ago in County Carlo, and she's looking fine, fit, and healthy. She's just living the, the dream, end quote. Jenny doesn't need this. <laughs> Burn, are you, are you shocked <laughs> that that was not Jenny? No. <laughs> fuck <laughs> they did not swindle this gal <laughs> she knew she knew all along now you know once i looked online and saw the pictures of the two donkeys i was just like ah yes those are different those are different donkeys <laughs> i was swindled in the moment i was like she's a, she's here she's made it yeah i guess i was like kind of shocked i was like wow that's a lot of effort to go through just for this very small bit um, yeah, but then I didn't put a second thought to it. So I love that this is a news story and people are like, what? That wasn't the I'm, de- I'm deeply offended. <laughs> I think, I think it's fucked up. I also think it's, it's even more fucked up to the, you know, the, the ghost donkey, the ghost rider of donkeys that was on stage. I don't know this hoe's name. Mm-mm. I don't know who this person is. Like, what's going on? Mm-mm. Who is this donkey? <laughs> I want them to also have their moment, the donkey who was playing the donkey, Jenny the donkey. Absolutely. Clearly, they're an actor. Clearly, they could be up for SAG. I need to know what the T is. Yeah. It's a very meta performance she gave on that stage. A donkey playing a donkey in a movie. Mm-hmm. A donkey playing a donkey named Jenny who played a donkey named Jenny. I don't know. Wild. Is wild. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's not, you know, maybe too much meat on this on this donkey bone. But, Burn, how did you feel about the um, the humor of the Oscars this year and the kind of like in between bits and moments? I thought it was definitely serviceable. Um, I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not. Jimmy Kimmel just isn't really for me. I don't think he's yeah. a super funny person. I don't think he's doing anything that like really bums me out. Or anything like, I guess my feelings on it aren't that strong, but I do think he's like 
not that funny. And I think that there probably are possibilities for better hosts, but he has done it before and he is seasoned and it's not a bad show when you're watching it. So he has a good kind of like comedy baseline for sure. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's just like, he will do like, he has good timing. He will do a good job. Mm -hmm. The show is going to move. It's going to be like at least 70% funny the entire time. Right. Which like, you know, rolling the dice otherwise you you don't want right right yeah I th- so i thought only a few of the jokes uh honestly i can't remember any of the ones that made me laugh so maybe that's yeah, me either a it, bad thing <laughs> um i remember the donkey thing stuck with me and then you find out that she's not even there yeah like some real fuck shit yeah but the thing that i thought was just like kind of uncomfortable and like deeply unfunny was all of his stuff with malala who it was like, okay, Malala's there, and that's very cool. Um, oh, she's sitting in the crowd. She's just trying to enjoy mm. herself. Why did she get invited to the Oscars? It, was it to have jokes made to her by Jimmy Kimmel? I'm not sure. But the whole time that Jimmy Kimmel was talking to Malala and like trying to get her to interact, and she just like wasn't having it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. dude, this was a weird bit. Like, Who in the writer's room thought that this was like, Gonna work. work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. But yeah, I I also, I mean, I liked how the show was like kind of moving and there wasn't like a ton of bits and wasn't like a lot of like shoehorned humor. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with Jimmy Kimmel. I just also, I mean, the you know, the donkey thing has really, (laughs) has really damaged me uh, psychically. For sure. You know, I can move on from that. For sure. I can heal eventually. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's, you know. He's just not it for me. And I also, like, you know, don't really associate him with, like, cinema and movies. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? And I guess, like, you don't always do that. And, like, you know, the, the host of the Oscars is kind of an opportunity to kind of bring, like, other entertainers into the fold. So it doesn't have to be that way. Like, if you really wanted, like, someone to host it that was the face of movies, you'd, like, get fucking Tom Cruise to do it. <laughs> and he would be interesting, to say the least, yeah. up there. Yeah, for sure. But, I th- yeah, I don't know. I think too, like when a person like you or myself are going to watch the Oscars, they're going to have a good time no matter what. So breeze it, please. I mean, I- ironically, so yeah, we're like, I mean, fucking, this is usually a fucking train fire. So like, whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's maybe what people like don't realize. It's just like we simultaneously. I like to think we simultaneously take the Oscars like seriously, but also it's like we know what the show is. Right. It's trash. Like, it's, it's garbage. Right. Like, right. Yeah, but it's it's fun. We're in on the joke. We get it, guys. There's a game. I, we gamify it. That's what's fun. It's like, there's kind of a game to it where it's just like, all right, so, like, are they going to do this dumb thing again? Or it's like, are they going to nominate this? And then, you know, it's exciting to see. For sure. A weird movie make it. <laughs> I had a good I had a good Oscars time. Good. And I also won, so that was cool. Or tied. We tied. Tied. You and me are, are tied sisters for the Oscars trophy. At the top. At the top, you feels me. good. That this the next year is going to be the real. That's kind of. I mean, it's not the tiebreaker. You have more wins, but it's the one for me to to pull ahead. So for we'll sure, see. I'm gonna take you down. I'm gonna take you down. <laughs> Story number four: Quentin Tarantino's final film is coming as filmmaker readies the movie critic. This story is written by Boris Kitt at the Hollywood Reporter. Quentin Tarantino is back for the last time. Uh, sidebar, I don't believe it. 
the filmmaker, uh, the filmmaker behind some of the most in- indelible movies of the past three decades, Pulp Fiction and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood among them, is putting together what sources say is billed as his final movie. The movie critic is the name of the script that Tarantino wrote and is prepping to direct this fall, according to sources. Logline details are being kept in a suitcase, but the sources describe the story as being set in the late 1970s Los Angeles with a female lead at its center. It's possible the story focuses on Pauline Kael, one of the most influential movie critics of all time. Kael, who died in 2001, was not just a critic, but also an essayist and novelist. She was known for her pugnacious fights with editors as well as filmmakers. In the late 1970s, Kale had a very brief tenure working as a consultant for Paramount, a position she accepted at the behest of actor Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. The timing of that Paramount job seemed to coincide with the setting of the script, and the filmmaker is known to have a deep respect for Kale, making the odds of her being the subject of the film more likely. Uh, Burn, how would you feel... If this actually was Tarantino's last movie. Um, as we were kind of talking about with Lord of the Rings, like, I think it's okay to say goodbye to things. If he, he's been very vocal, especially in that article that you shared um, over the past mm. few years, that he does feel like directors, once they've reached a certain age, they do kind of age out of being really great. And I do like what he says about, you know, actors becoming or actors, directors becoming a little bit more irrelevant and out of touch. And if he truly feels that way and this is the last one, good for him. It'll be interesting to see if he can stay away. I liked that at the very end, he was like, you know, I'd still be interested in like directing limited series and doing other things. It's like, of course you would, because you're not going to stop working because you're You're addicted to this. Yeah. yeah. My theory is that he'd, you know, if he actually were to stop making flicks, that he would, you know, pivot to more of like a producer role and kind of like lift up the next generation of Tarantino's to the to the fold, you know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, pick projects that maybe he aligns with and that kind of fit his oeuvre and kind of like lift it up. But uh, yeah, I also could see him just being like, and I'm doing like TV and theater. No, instead. It's just like, well, sounds good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh but you know, on on the project itself, uh interesting final movie for him. Seems fitting given kind of the the arc of his movies. I think after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, expecting anything not like that, I think was a fool's errand. I think it was, it would either it was gonna be one hundred percent like Kill Bill three or something that's more I would say this sounds like it's more in line with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it it's interesting if you are considering like the headspace of someone who has worked in an industry for so long and has such a, you know, entwined relationship with the industry, because it's kind of hard to separate yourself from it if you've kind of grown up in it and helped revolutionize like indie cinema. Um how how could you leave that without like reconciling your thoughts with it or kind of having this like therapeutic, you know, uh, creativity driven film that like helps you figure out like what your place in the world is. So, yeah, it makes sense yeah. to do a movie called The Film Critic. Um, and I know I don't know about you, 
but mm-hmm. uh, I know Burge has read a lot of pa- Pauline Kael. I'm yeah, we had one of the books at the theater mm-hmm. for a long time. I'm mostly mm-hmm. unfamiliar. I've read a few of her Same. reviews, but not enough to like really claim to know her style or to even like really know who the woman is herself. So it'll be interesting to see if Tarantino kind of pulls a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and kind of maybe does some interesting things with her life that didn't happen, or if he's going to stick more of like, you know, true to life and tell her story. I don't know. It'd be interesting. I I definitely would see this movie no matter what, because I like Tarantino. Oh, yeah. But it's cool. It the, The hype, the slow build of hype around the possibility of this film is very cool. Yeah. I mean, I think... I have a feeling that it will be in line with Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where you know it's, it feels like it's familiar and it's re- referencing real people in history, but is skewed in the way that you know Tarantino has his kind of own like universe that has become like more subtle over time, but is still like pretty you know that. Um, you know, maybe Pauline Kale is solving a murder mystery. I don't know. <laughs> like, I would watch that movie, but. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm also like not super familiar with her work. I know that she um, is, uh, you know, a, a, a linchpin. She's like one of the biggest like reasons for like film criticism is in the shape that it is today, uh, and she's a big deal. So yeah, we'll see. I do think it seems like an appropriate kind of like everything you said. Like it seems like an appropriate ending to his tenure um, in film is like kind of like pivoting it behind a character that would be reflective on film, you know, like that seems like a good choice. Uh, but we'll see. I want to know more about it. I think it will be good. You and I are, um, once upon a time, once upon a time in Hollywood fans, Mm -hmm. I would say that's probably one of his most, I think all of his movies are like a little divisive, but I think that's one of his more divisive movies in like a weird way. Definitely. If that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad that he is not doing Kill Bill 3 as his last movie because it should be a show. I agree. I agree. Uh, so there you if go. he never makes any more Kill Bill content, that's fine. That's great because it's cool. great as it is. But if he does make more, I will definitely be watching. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think it would work better as a series. I think an HBO show following um, the survivor of the woman she kills in the mm-hmm. beginning of the movie is like. Bernita Green's daughter. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. And you make it, you know, yeah, limited series, six episodes, hour long. Love it. Hour 20. Because he can't, you know. Love it. You can't put him in a box. Robbie, let's get you in that room. I got ideas. I got ideas, T. You know what you're talking about. I got ideas, QT. Come on. (laughs) Uh, I want want that. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, not much is known about it now, but it is exciting. So we'll see what's next. But what's next for us is... This is kind of uh, story number five is an amalgamation of a few stories. It's all we're just going to talk Star Wars for a few minutes because I feel like it's in a weird place and I'm putting my foot down. So the this segment is called Things Are Weird in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. And the first story we want to talk about in that weirdness is Damon Lindelof and Justin Britt Gibson exit Star Wars flicks. The story is written by Jeff Snyder at Above the Line. There has been a disturbance in the Force as screenwriters Damon Lindelof and Justin Britt Gibson have exited the Star Wars project that Charmin Obad Chinoy remains slated to direct. 
Above the Line has exclusively learned. Lindelof and Brett Gibson turned in a draft of a script mid-February and parted ways with the project just days later, according to sources. Lucasfilm already has a new writer on board, though ATL was unable to ascertain the, their identity. Production is slated to start in February 2024, ahead of the film's planned release date on December 19th, 2025. Lindelof recently cast doubt on his involvement in the Star Wars universe in a recent interview with Slash Films at South by Southwest, where he said the following, quote, I will just say that for reasons that I can't get into on this Sunday morning, on this day, the degree of difficulty is extremely, extremely, extremely high. If it can't be great, it shouldn't exist. That's all I'll say, because I have the same association with it as you do. Which is, it's the first movie I saw sitting in my dad's lap, four years old, May of 77. I think it's possible that sometimes when you hold something in such high reverence and esteem, you start to get in the kitchen and you just go, maybe I shouldn't be cooking. Maybe I should just be eating. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, recently we learned that, uh, so that's the end of the story, but other rumors, there seems to be like a fucking Star Wars story like every day and I'm not putting them all in here. (laughs) Recently, uh, we recently learned that, uh, Peaky Blinders creator Stephen Knight has taken over the writing of that project and, uh, later on the, in the same kind of like day or even week that that story came out, uh, recently Academy Award winning, uh, Daniels directors, uh, it was announced that they have already directed an episode of Skeleton Crew, uh, which is a Star Wars show that I think is it follows a group of Jedi, a group of Jedi children who survived Order sixty six, and Jude Law is kind of like the the steward of these children. It actually, sounds like kind of a cool show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone was so fucking annoying about it on social media to the point where uh, Daniel Kwan on uh, Instagram said this, LOL, all of the people adding us about getting sucked up by, quote, the corporate machine can chill. These headlines are always misleading. Don't worry, we aren't working on a whole series. We guest directed one episode. John Watts approached us to do an episode a while ago before everything everywhere all at once even came out. We love John, love Star Wars, love learning new tech. We love meeting new cast and crew. And we needed the days to keep our health care. So it was an easy yes. We shot last year and had an incredible time working with the most talented cast and crew. And I'm excited for you all to see it. Our next one will be an original Daniels project. So you can stop worrying and stop bothering me about it. <laughs> it also seems like it seems like a Star Wars movie. This is me now just like talking. It seems like a Star Wars movie gets canceled uh, every day. Like a rumored Star Wars movie is just like this person left this. This person left this this one's canceled uh i think i there was a story earlier this month that the kevin feige and patty jenkins star wars movies are shelved right now like they're canceled they're not happening so burn Mm -hmm. wherever you want to start with this can of worms but uh what what do you think is going on with star wars and what do you want to be going on with star wars at this point Well, to go to that Daniels bit of news at the very end, it's just so strange to me. How do we live in a world where people don't get just like hyped knowing that like Daniels came in and directed one episode of this thing? To me, that's like a sign of approval that gets me more interested in the show, knowing that they're 
behind the camera for, you know, one episode. Um, yeah. I think that's cool. I, I, I think with Star Wars movies, it's funny to me that Lindelof is like, I can't really talk about it, which makes me wonder if he's like, man, if this movie tanks, if I'm involved with it, they're going to throw me under the bus because Star Wars is kind of good at that. Like if a movie doesn't do yeah. well, they're not really sticking by their creators. Um, so I don't know. They make weird choices. They get rid of great scripts in favor of scripts yeah. that aren't that great. Uh, I don't know. Like the Star Wars universe is growing for sure. And I think it could be more interesting. But is it, but is it though? <laughs> because yeah. the stories that we have been getting for the past few years, it's not really growing. It's getting fat. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it's not like, you know, it's not like expansive anymore. It's just like you're just filling in gaps. And like, I, I'm like, I, we have to be running out of gaps at this point. That's like, true. What is going on? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think with the Lindelof stuff. I mean, he's definitely under like an NDA or some shit. Right? Definitely. He, he definitely can't like talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I remember he was another one. And it's like, I can't even remember the amount of times this happened where you, you hear about someone cool who's attached to a project and you're like, oh, cool. He'll do Star Wars. That's nice. And then they're out. Creative differences, whatever. Um, he, You know, this quote is very like nice and kind of puts the onus on him for why he left. He kind of felt like the, the way the quote sounds that he felt like he wasn't like up to snuff for the, the IP. I have trouble believing that, you know, I think he's one of the most talented dudes in the industry. I mean, I feel like he probably turned into something pretty cool. And I think Star Wars, I think the powers that be at Star Wars are interested in playing it safe. And I think they have, like, from what I've also, like, read from other stories and other stuff we've covered in reports, it seems like Lucasfilm just has, like, choice paralysis right now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty, like, interesting to see. I think they're just, like, terrified of what to put out next. Because, like, if it's the wrong move, like, it... I don't know. I don't know if anything could really, like, take down Star Wars or, like, you know, make it less, like, lucrative. But... Right. I think in terms of, like, big budget misses, I guess they don't really have that many left. And it seems like these shows are cheap, so they can keep making them. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, I don't know. And, yeah, with the with the um, Daniel stuff, it's like, I, I mean, like, the, the hate for them I've seen on social media after they won the Academy Award. I'm just like, you guys are, like, so fucking useless. Like, people on Twitter are so fucking useless. It's just like, that movie's cool. It's so exciting a movie like that could win Best Picture get over yourself it's all just like such contrarian bullshit and then like i don't know i feel like they're getting blasted on all sides people being like oh everything ever all at once was like not good for xyz reasons fuck this so so dumb and then on the other side people who like daniels are just like wow a star wars show really it's just like yo you guys just don't want to like these people right right this is so this is so stupid like what is like what did they do yeah what did they do Besides be successful, like, I don't know. They're not Jonathan Majors. Oof. Like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> uh. It's crazy. I just, like, I just don't get it. And it just feels like such, like, film Twitter hipster nonsense. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, I don't understand, like, why we just can't, like, like what these guys are doing. Like, they make cool movies. Like, I don't know. And you, you, you don't need to make them the heroes of your narrative. Like, right. they're just people. Right, right. And like, if they make something you know, that you're not 
interested in. Just wait for the next thing they make that you are interested in. Just or don't don't watch any yeah, of it. Yeah, just like, like wait you know? and go watch something else that you like. You can like multiple things. <laughs> like you yeah. don't have to yeah live and die on the sword that is Daniel's. Like yeah, I agree. <laughs> I've had I've had good conversations with people who were not into everything ever all at once. And, you know, their their criticisms were like valid and respectful. And they just kind of dropped it because they were like adults. I was yeah. like talking to a grown up the other day. Um, and it's just like, yeah, like. You cannot like the movie, but it's just like the, the dog piling that happens like on social media and, and like the reasons people not liking it. It's like. I don't know. It's just some of these criticisms have gotten so under my skin. Like people being like, they should have cast an overweight actor for the whale. I'm just like, you realize that the point of the whale is that people who are 600 plus pounds can't really do much or they'll die. <laughs> That's kind of like what that movie's about, you know? So I don't think there's a lot of working actors of that size. Yeah. Yeah. The whale is, yeah. Up, opening up a whole other conversation for sure. Kind of worms. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I just like I don't know. I just, I just think it's a lot of like cheap criticisms, low blows, and just kind of like I don't know, clout chasing at the end of the day. Yeah, it's weird. I think I live in a very positive everything everywhere all at once bubble because yeah, I was just talking to my mom oh, mom the other day, and Heath and I are going to go back to Indiana for Easter, so that's in a couple mm. weeks. And she asked me, she was like, "Now, B." I didn't get to watch it, but I've been reading that 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 movie that won all the awards didn't deserve them. What do you think? Because she like obviously comes to me for film stuff. And right. I was like, oh, that's interesting because I hadn't really heard a lot of that because I live in this other weird bubble where everyone loves it. It's funny that your mom's in the bubble, though. Yeah. People not liking it. Yeah. And I told her I was like, oh, no, I definitely think it deserved all of those awards, maybe in categories that it should have gone to a different actress. But uh, I, I do think it deserved all of the categories sure. it took home. Um, and I told her I was like, we'll just have to watch it at Easter when I come home because I'd love to watch it again and I'd love to see what you think. I said, I think you're really going to like it, Mom. So also, I wonder yeah. how many people are spinning this like criticism on the film and criticism on them without even watching it or really knowing sure, who they, they are. The, the loud, the loud minority, right. and and such. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, um, but I don't know. I think. The Daniels directing a show of Star Wars. It's just cool. like, that sounds great. It's cool. Yeah. Whatever. Get over it. And it's also like, even if they directed the whole show, like. Who cares? Who fucking cares? <laughs> like, who cares? That sounds cool. Cares? We're letting Taika Waititi direct everything. And he's attached to a Star Wars project now. Yeah. And I think his is the only one that's surviving the. Uh, the shelving. The great shelving was, of 2023. Yeah, yeah, I think. I think so. And after seeing like Thor Love and Thunder, it's like, I've never seen a movie by someone who like did not want to make that movie so bad yeah like yeah i don't know it's that's that was a weird one but we'll see i mean like star wars you might have more hype on true but uh i mean Ty taika's an interesting example right yeah. where you know he it's kind of like i think what people are afraid of with daniels where like you know taika had a, a bunch of really good indian movies and to be honest he, he has been kind of wrapped up in the marvel disney machine for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of but, doing our flag means death, yeah, like it's kind of just been yeah. him. And then also, um, what's the other? What's that movie that came out a few years ago? Jojo yeah. Rabbit. Jo Jojo, Jojo Rabbit. Rabbit yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you know, he had, but like for the most part, he's been pretty like wrapped up 
Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would care more about that, but I also, you know, he's an adult man with free will, so <laughs> that's always where I go with it. I'm like, well, you know, he uh, chose to do this, right. so maybe fuck off. So maybe fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, we as the he doesn't want to make the thing you asked for. Exactly, exactly. We as the consumers get to consume the things that are made, so they have to be made first by someone. That's it. Sometimes you're not as into those people who are making it, but yeah, I I don't think Taika Waititi has fallen too out of favor, even though Thor: Love and Thunder didn't do as well. But yeah, it's just like, come on, just if you if you aren't interested, don't watch it. Easy yeah, as that. That's it. Easy. It's easy. I don't know what the future for Star Wars holds. I feel like they need to, at some point, they have to start making stuff that takes place after the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think the reaction the thing to is, that last film, uh, since it was not great, you know, I think they're a little scared. But they're going to have to get over being well, frightened think, yeah. and just go for it. Well, I think it's the conjunction of you know, the Daniels are facing the same issue where <laughs> The Last Jedi was you know, critically acclaimed audience panned Mm -hmm. and then rise of Skywalker, I think was just like very middling. I mean, I fucking like, you know, I really don't like that movie, but I think review wise, it was lower, but not, it wasn't panned critically. And then audiences, I don't think it was, I think it's a bit more mixed. I don't think it was like that movie is not universally beloved by any means. No, in any faction of criticism yeah i think some people like it more than last jedi sadly Uh, that is the case sadly and that ain't me sis (laughs) (laughs) no whatever we'll see uh i hope that lindelof script leaks because i want to read it yeah Uh, because i bet it's good i bet it's a i bet you that was gonna be a good star wars movie yeah i mean i respect the man he's you know famously the one who did Watchmen and Watchmen was so beloved and he was like listen I don't have enough of a story to come back for another season so I'm not going to because the se- the story has to be there for me to be interested. Yeah. And so maybe he did get like stars in his eyes when he got asked to do the Star Wars thing and then realized he wasn't as, you know, jazzed about the story. He didn't have a story that he felt was compelling enough to write. And he's a man of conviction. Yeah who probably has stronger resolve than maybe some other writers who might have been, you know, asked to help write this film. And maybe he's like, you know, I know I'm good, but I'm not good in this capacity. And yeah, so I I applaud him for stepping out if he thought that he didn't have the story that needed to be there. But yeah, I bet it was good. <laughs> A Lindelof bad script is still better than probably most good scripts. So. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree with you there. We'll see. They have to they have to figure it out at some point. And yeah, it just kind of feels like Star Wars in general is just kind of like it's just kind of like you know driving in circles a little bit. Yeah, I love Andor, but it's still like it's filling in gaps. Like it's it's not like I think like Andor is an example of what all these shows should fucking be. Yes, where it's like, well, if you're gonna fill in gaps, it should be what this is. But like you know, like the Obi Wan show, I did not like that much. Bummer. Yeah, I wanted to, mm-hmm. and that Boba Fett show is bad. <laughs> it's wild. And Mandalorian, like I was a big, I was a big Mandalorian fan for a long time, and I'm like, now you guys are, you know, Andor opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. 
I saw through the, I saw through the veil. And I was just like, you guys could have done this shit the entire time. Mm-hmm. You mean to tell me you could do this shit the entire time? No. Nah. Yeah, it's nah. it's different. Something changes because Andor was appointment television, and Mandalorian used to be appointment television, but now it's like yeah. We missed last Wednesday's episode of Mandalorian and we'll watch it like we're still into it, but we're not like hyped Wednesday night to like watch Mandalorian, which is a bummer. Yeah, I I think I'm letting them stack. I watched the first episode and I was like, I was like, I, can, I cannot believe that is a snooze then, fest. That first episode it's crazy. And and the things they set up, I'm like, this is what we're going to be doing for this season. The fuck? You, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And then I watched like the beginning of the second episode. Uh, Still. You know, not I'm like, this is pretty weak, but they get on Mandalore. He gets taken by a weird like robot crab. I'm like, that's kind of yeah, cool. so. that that robot thing was very cool. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, some of the things I do like about the show are there. I, I don't know. I was really annoyed by the not to spoil too much Mandalorian, but the first episode, the whole like we got to rebuild uh, IG-11. I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. Dumb. Why are we doing this? And then they're Dumb. not doing <laughs> it. They gave up. <laughs> they dropped it. They dropped it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Crazy. I recently got my hair did and my hairdresser was pissed because she did not watch Boba Fett and she watched the first episode of Mandalorian and she was like, what? Did we miss something? Did I, did we like miss a special where they, they reunited? Even, they didn't even cover it in the recap. No. They didn't even, it's And crazy. she was like, did I watch Mandalorian season two? She was like, yeah, I'm up to date. Like, how did this happen? And I'm like, sorry, Sarah, you had to watch a whole other show to get the backstory for what's going on now. And she's like, that's dumb. Insane. I was like, yeah, not great. It is dumb. It is dumb. Also, the way time works in that show, I don't understand it. What is time? Because they're, they're like, oh, yeah, it's been like f- five or ten years since like this. I'm like, there's just no fuck. Like, fuck off. There's no way. Yeah. What's going on here? All right, I could do that all day. Uh, that is the end of the reel. Those are all the news stories that we have Woo. this month. We end the show. We're going a little long. Thanks for sticking with me, Burn. Uh, this next part won't take too long, but at the end of the show, we have one more segment called Story Screen Spotlights, where we talk about the movies coming out next month, as well as some shows. Uh and you know, that's, I do that for you guys, in case you don't know what's coming out. I do that for you. Yeah, I know this shit's coming. Robbie, out. you're the internet. Look at you. I'm you're the internet. internet. You don't need Google. You got me. <laughs> you got Bay. So what's coming out next month? Uh, April fifth, we have Air and the Super Mario Brothers movie. On April seventh, we have Paint and How to Blow Up a Pipeline. April fourteenth, it's a big one: The Pope's Exorcist, Renfield, Sweetwater, Mafia Mama. April 19th, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Once and Always is coming to Netflix. I think that's a movie. I don't think it's a show. So let's hope. April 21st is Evil Dead Rise, Chevalier, Bo is Afraid. April 28th is Sisu, which I'm excited about. And Peter Pan and Wendy comes to Disney+. And in the world of television and streaming, we have Royal Crackers, which is an adult swim show that comes out April 2nd. Dave Season 3 premieres April 5th on Hulu. Beef. Uh, with Ali Wong comes out on Netflix on April 6th. The Marvel, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Maisel. How does anyone say this shit? <laughs> the marvelous Mrs. Maisel yep. season five premieres April 14th on Amazon prime. I can't believe there's five of those. I don't even know what that show's about. I think this blind is the spotting. Last one. All right. Well, thank God. Blind spotting season two, which I do want to watch. 
because I haven't seen the first season, but you know I love that movie. Premieres April 14th on Stars. Barry, the, fi- the final season. Why? Why do this to me? Premieres on April 16th on HBO. Waco, The Aftermath, premieres April 16th on Showtime. And Dead Ringers premieres Amazon, or, sorry, premieres on Amazon Prime April 21st. Burn, what on here gets you excited? Uh, I am, I think the one that I'm going to probably like the best, we'll see, is Bo is Afraid, because I've really been trying to stay away from anything about that movie, but I'm intrigued. You know, I, I, I pictured you as a paint person. Oh, mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like I, I was like Burns gonna be excited for that. Yeah, one. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I will say Renfield is gonna be fun because it's Nicolas Cage playing Dracula, so that's cool. And Nicholas Holt playing Renfield into it. That's yeah. just gonna be a fun, stupid time. And then uh, obviously with my girl Tony Collette in Mafia Mama. That movie Gotta looks dumb, but it's Catherine Hardwick, which I just found out, and. Uh, that seems hilarious. If the word on the street is that it's better than that trailer, I will go watch yeah. it. But we will see. <laughs> yeah. uh, keep your bar very low. Don't set your hopes yeah. too high. Might be fun to rent one day. Yes. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got to catch up on Barry because I know everyone loves Barry and I'm behind. So that'll be a fun it's little so, it's so good. little binge for me. Uh, tell me what yeah. Sisu is because I don't. I feel like I don't know what that is, and maybe I do. But Sisu is uh, it's either from the director or at least like some of the people behind John Wick, and it is about a gold miner in Germany who, during World War II era, who finds gold and has to make it a few semi distance to a place to you know turn that gold into cash, and he has to kill a bunch of Nazis along the way. Oh, cool. Looks fun and crazy. I just saw John Wick 4, so I'm just like, more of that. Please dump it in my face. So, uh, Sisu looks like it's going to scratch that itch. I don't know. A lot of movies that, you know, are John Wick likes are not as good as, you know, King Headshot himself. But uh, it looks fun. Cool. Killing Nazis always approved. Yeah, you um, sold me. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, stuff I'm really excited about, uh, Super Mario Brothers movie, I think is going to smack. I am so excited for that. Oh, cool. Um, curious about paint. I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, I want to see. Renfield, uh, you know, they just had a second trailer come out recently, and I like it more oh, than the ones that I've been seeing like a hundred, like a fucking thousand times. Uh, yeah. I'm like, I actually am more into this. So, you'll see. I think it's going to be kind of like, you know, like Zombieland vibes Mm -hmm. which i'm there for that the first one's good if it's like that i'm into it yeah definitely and then uh i might watch that power rangers thing we'll see yeah who cares i don't know who cares it's on netflix and evil dead rise uh evil dead rise got really good south by southwest response but we'll you're right it did see yeah i don't know i feel like a lot of people like are not as hot on the movie coming out but i'm not sure bo's afraid we will be seeing obviously it must be seen yeah Gotta see what her boy's up Bo to. I was afraid and Burn um, is curious. Yes, yes. I'd watch that movie too. <laughs> uh, Peter Pan and Wendy uh, by what's the guy who did Green Knight? I forget his name right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But looks, I want to watch looks that. Looks cool. I think. Yeah, it looks cool. I want I want to see what the deal is. I want I want to support whatever he does. Yeah. And then uh, for TV stuff, yeah, I think all that, you know, I'm not going to watch 
Mrs. Mabel season five. But yeah, Barry, Oof. I'm I'm up to date, so I'm excited for that. Blind spotting, I keep wanting to start. I haven't. Yet. I know, I know. Um, that Royal Cracker show. I saw the trailer for that on Adult Swim. It looks pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> I might watch that. Are you? Uh, did you see this? Do you know anything about this Dead Ringers show? Um, it's not ringing a bell for me right now. It's not ringing. Mm. It's not ringing. A bell. Um, so refresh uh, my memory. So it is. Uh, let me pull up the actual synopsis real quick. Is this the one where there's an actor who looks like another actor and they were like, we're going to have you act this part or be this person? Well, it's it's, it's funny that you that you did think that because it is uh, it's Rachel Weiss playing her playing two okay. roles. OK. And uh, she plays the Mantle Twins. And the story is the Mantle Twins, identical from head to toe, are on a mission to change the way women give birth, starting in Manhattan. The trailer looks kind of creepy. <laughs> it looks kind of spooky. I didn't know much about it. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of want to check it out. Interesting. Yeah, that does sound yeah, we'll see. cool. I think I, I yeah. saw another movie advertised to me, or maybe it's a TV show. And it stars a male actor, and I can't for the life of me remember who's in this, but... Uh, he gets mistaken as this other actor and they're like, you can just be this guy. And so they use him in some kind of plot. Um, So he's like pretending to be this other person. And I think the name is kind of similar to dead ringers, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Interesting. This is such a fun thing to listen to on a podcast. Listen to someone talk about something. I don't know if I know this thing, Uh, (laughs) but uh, yeah, April, I mean, we movies are back Mm -hmm. looking pretty good. I think we got got something I'm interested in seeing almost every Friday of the month. Oh, that's so good. That's always pretty good. Yeah. Uh, before we leave, Burn, you watching anything good right now? Uh, Yellow Jackets just started back up, and Succession just started back up. So, Ooh, oh, and Ted Lasso is going on right now. So, a lot of things coming to a close. Oh, yeah. Yellow Jackets isn't ending, but Succession and Ted Lasso is. So. I'm on episode five of Yellow Jackets. Oh, we dope. just finished episode five. Yeah. Are, you, are you hooked? I like it. Yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. You know, my, some of my friends, they're not like the guys in my group chat. Uh, they're not like m- movie TV people in the same way that we are. But they're going through Yellow Jackets right now. And I feel like they're not as hot on it as most people are. So I'm excited to see kind of what like the discourse around the show is. I, for where I'm at with it right now, I'm like, this is great. It's fun. Like, I don't know. I also like don't have like, you know. I kind of I feel like I get what it is. It's like it's just it's kind of like lost with these girls. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, I don't know. That's what I want. I'm, e- I'm eating. That sounds good. But yeah, we're watching Yellow Jackets. We watched the first episode of Perry Mason. I want to get back oh, to yeah. that. I really like that. Yeah, I haven't uh, watched show. that, but I've heard very good things. It's cool. Yeah. And then I think we just finished Daisy Jones and the Six. Holy fuck. That shit was good. Really? I... Lo- like loved it interesting loved it and the music they made for it it's i've been listening to the album it's amazing cool definitely like highest recommendation this year for sure oh dang because yeah you also just recently finished watching girls and when i started seeing I the did. ads for that <laughs> i'm like yeah i just saw that with marnie michaels like that's what marnie did yeah. she started singing with this guy and he was with a mm-hmm. woman, and then she kind of broke up that relationship. And yeah, I was just like, it's, I feel like uh, I just watched this. So maybe the ads hit me at the wrong time, but good recommendation for me. It's great. I mean, it's basically, you know, it, it seems like it's based off a book. It's kind of like, you know, I feel like this is kind of like Fleetwood Mac inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's really like like really good. All right. Really, 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 really good. But yeah, I think that's all we're watching right now. Uh, John Wick Four is the best movie I've seen this year. That's that about that. Dang. That's it. That's it. That's babe. it. All right, Burn. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Anything you'd like to plug before we leave? Ah, uh, just a lot of great podcasts coming out. A lot of great Cathode Raycast is going to be coming out, uh, you know, in the next few months. And we just covered The Last of Us. So if you're listening to this Ooh. story screen reports, uh, all four of us, myself, Robbie, Diana, and Burge, we all talked about The Last of Us. So if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. Please do. This is not the only podcast. Story screen. StoryScreenBeacon.com is a host of many podcasts, articles, and reviews. So head over to our website to check out all of our amazing content. Uh, we are working on ways to support us now. You may have noticed there was no Story Screen Reports last month. We are undergoing a transition, transitionary phase in uh, what the brand is and what we want to do with it. More on that very soon. But, uh, you know, keep it locked to uh, all of our social medias. You can follow me at Rob A. Bay. You can follow us at Story Screen Presents on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that's that about that. Until next time. Peace. Bye.